0: Thanks Benjamin. Hello everyone. Uh, sending a cheerio call to Scott this morning. Where is he down Sydney still? Okay, hello Scott. We're sending a cheerio to you and our reading is from Genesis right at the beginning so you don't have to have the page number. Right, Genesis <laughs> and we're reading from chapter 1. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. According to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Verse 14 And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons, and days, and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. To govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly over the earth, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day verse 24 and God said let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds livestock creatures that move along the ground and wild animals each according to its kind and it was so God made the wild animals according to their kinds the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food and it was so god saw that all he god saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day chapter 2 thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array by the seventh day god had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Praise the Lord for
1: his word. Good morning friends, my name is Peter Charles, for those of you who don't know me, and uh Jackie did a good job of reading that passage this morning, didn't she? And there's a a long section there. And uh, I won't be getting into every aspect of detail, but hopefully you'll find something meaningful as we think about this good word from God to us this morning. Let's pray as we come to this word. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this rich time of fellowship that we share as your people today. We give you thanks that you've given us your word which guides us to know you and understand how you want us to live. And Lord, we pray today that uh, we'd concentrate now and and make the most of this word that you've given to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your outline there, you'll probably find that helpful as I work through Genesis chapter 1 and the start of chapter 2. I've titled the introduction, Who Am I? It reminded me a little bit of the, the sales, sale of the century uh, series years ago with Tony Barber having uh, those quiz show questions, who am I? But I've taken a different tack today and I'm going to think about who am I with uh, respect to looking back at our ancestors. Have you noticed that in the age of the computer and the internet, it's a bit easier for people to research where they've come from? In fact, uh, websites like Ancestry.com have gained currency in our society, they've become more popular. And shows like, who do you think you are? And what is it that attracts people to research their ancestors? It almost sounds a little bit boring, doesn't it? uh, Doing a bit of genealogical research. But what is it that kindles the curiosity in uh, people's minds as they come to find out who came before them? Well, I wonder if it starts to really spring from that desire for people to know who they are, to know uh, more about their background, where they've come from, who they really are. And I've I've heard uh, people report a great deal of of satisfaction when they have done that kind of research. That's really helped them understand more of who they are. Who am I is a a question uh, that we all face, isn't it? And the question also raises the topic of how far do we go back when it comes to thinking about who we are. Do we go back to uh, grandparents? Do we go to the great-grandparents? And this list could go on, isn't it? How far do we have to go back to get a a good answer, a comprehensive answer as to who we are? Well, God's word, the Bible, helps us, doesn't it? Uh, God's provided an account for us which helps us to understand who we are from the the very beginning. As useful as uh, perhaps tracing our family history might be, uh, we've been given this gift of God's word, which teaches us about the ultimate questions, about ultimately who we are, uh, why we're here, and what this is all about. So as we uh, dip into the book of Genesis uh, this morning in this series as it begins let's come to terms with what God says from the beginning about who we are and why we're here. Well, why should we bother reading uh, Genesis anyway? Well, as we begin this series on Genesis, uh, we do so with the conviction that this is the word of God to us. Uh, Paul lets us know that all scriptures God breathed and it's useful for teaching us, for rebuking us, correcting us and training us so that that we're thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Peter in 2 Peter reminds us that uh, there's actually two authors when it comes to the Bible. There's people who wrote it, but also God. He says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we see that Genesis has two authors, God, and we take it from what Jesus says and what's referred to in the in the Old Testament that the human author is Moses. Uh, there's a reference in Ezra chapter six, which refers to the book of Moses, and that's a, a reference to the whole Pentateuch, the whole first five books of the Bible, and Genesis is the first of that. And so we take it that uh, Genesis is written by Moses. But we bother to read it because its ultimate author is God. And this is God's word to us as well. The first thing we really learn from Genesis chapter 1 is that God powerfully creates out of nothing. I'm at point 1 in your outline, if you're following along there, I'll pick it up in verses uh, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so from the first few verses of the Bible, first few words, we see the totality of creations in view, the heavens and the earth. This is God creating the entire universe. Now, other parts of uh, the Bible talk about God's creative work as well. This is not the only section uh, that speaks about God creating. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 3 says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. And as Christians, uh, we believe that God creates. He speaks, he's all-powerful, and he brings into being a universe out of nothing. Now, sometimes Christians have uh, come in to be a bit criticised for their belief that God created the universe – but we take it that God making a universe out of nothing is a far better explanation for a universe just coming out of nothing by itself. Christians are committed to the idea that God stands behind the cosmos, the creation out of nothing, that uh, something doesn't just come out of nothing. And here we see in Genesis 1 that God provides the explanation for the world and for our existence in it. In verse 2 we see that God is in complete control of this creation process. In verse 2 we read, now the earth was formless and empty. These two words are going to come up later as helpful with the structure of this chapter. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. At the beginning the earth is formless and void, although there is darkness over the surface of the deep which sounds somewhat foreboding, we see that the Spirit of God is here, present and hovering over those deep waters. Did you know that this word for hovering is an important one? It only occurs twice in the Bible and it only occurs one other time in the first five books of the Bible, that word for hovering. It crops up the next time in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32, verse 11. In that part of uh, Deuteronomy, there's a, an account of how God takes his people from Egypt and he creates them as a nation and delivers them and takes them to himself to be in the promised land. There... God's described as leading his people out of this barren waste, this howling waste. And if you want to do a little bit of Bible flipping today, feel free to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and I'll pick it up in verse 10. If you want to just tune in and listen to me, that's okay too. I'll I'll, I'll read it out. Uh, Referring to God, it says he sustained him. This is talking about God sustaining Israel. He sustained him in a desert land. In a howling wilderness waste, he shielded him, cared for him, guarded him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, as it spreads its wings, takes them up and bears them aloft on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. Did you see that reference to the hovers there? Like an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young. This is uh, God being described as the one who leads his people out of that furnace, Egypt, out of that howling waste and he guides them in a pillar of cloud by day with his glory spirit, that glory spirit that's there at the start of creation and a pillar of fire by night. And this reference to this howling waste is the same word that only crops up one other time in the Bible too and it's in Genesis here. That's the word for formless. And so at the very beginning, we see at the start of the Bible, God's spirit is present, it's hovering over the deep waters. God is in control, uh, caring and guiding for his creation at the start. We also are presented with something of an interesting dimension in verse 2. The clause that says darkness was over the surface of the deep does sound a bit foreboding and yet the spirit of God hovers over it. Now it's interesting to note that the uh, sea and references to sea monsters feature as hostile elements in the Bible but they're things which God is in control over. In Job chapter 26, verse 12, we read, By his power he churned up the sea. By his wisdom he cut Rahab, which is some sea monster, to pieces. In Psalm chapter 74, verse 13 and 14, we read, It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave it as food. To the creatures of the desert. Even at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 21, when all the forces of disorder, evil, and hostility are swept away in a new heavens and a new earth, we read, there was no longer any sea. Now, I guess if you like the sea, if you like going fishing and you know, you like seafood and things like that, it might sound a little bit disappointing. Um, but, but this is saying that any, any elements of evil, they've been swept away. Um, so whatever the uh, difficulties, that the darkness over the, was over the surface of the deep, whatever the difficulties seem to be alluded to there, in this provisional character of creation that's, that's formless and blo- void, some, some describe it as a, a type of blob, Uh, The fact is the Spirit of God is in control and hovers over it. From the very beginning, we're left with no doubts that God is in control over creation. And in the following verses, we'll see that God establishes this creation in a very orderly way that exactly meets his purposes. Well, what are we to do with these verses from the beginning? What's the application for this? Well, surely it's to understand ourselves as creatures of our Maker, and the right response is to worship the Lord, isn't it? The heavens and the earth are made by God. This creation's not here as a random accident, and we're certainly not from ourselves. This is God's universe. He is the creator, and we are the creatures. God caref- cares for His creation. That is powerfully and wonderfully made. And as we think about ourselves in God's creation as His creatures, our right response is to praise the Lord, isn't it? That was the response that the uh, 24 elders in the book of Revelation offered to God when they said, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honour, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created. And have their being. And we can take something from their response, can't we? We can remember our place in God's universe as his creatures. And we know that our right response is to give him glory and to give him thanks for all that he's made, including making us. So the next time you find yourself planning a trip, uh, going for a holiday somewhere to get out into God's good creation... It's right that you uh, enjoy it, and as you see it from the perspective that it really is, as God's creation. It's not there by Mother Nature. That's not what the Bible teaches us. God's not in his creation like he's in this lectern. God's not part of it. God is uh, ever-present but separate from from his creation, and his creation reveals something of his majesty and his power and as we uh, reflect on God's good creation uh, we rejoice in the goodness of God and his creat- creativity and his power uh, and we give thanks to him and give honour to him that's our, that's our right response the second thing we learn from Genesis is this is in point two now that uh, God creates in an orderly way the structure of God's orderly creation that follows, we can observe some interesting patterns. This uh, verse, now the earth was formless and empty, actually establishes the, uh, the structure of the passage that follows. For the, the forms, where it was formless, are made, or the realms, the forms or the realms, and the emptiness or the void is filled. And we see that there are separations established. Day one the form or the realm is light that's created and it's separated from darkness and that void or the emptiness is filled on day four with the sun moon and the stars. Day two the forms of water and air are made and there's a a separation of the waters above, which is presumably the the clouds and the sky, and the separation of the waters below. And we notice that on day five that matches up where those those voids, that that emptiness, is filled with birds in the sky and in the clouds and the sea creatures in the waters below. On day three, the form is uh, the dry ground. It appears, along with vegetation, and it matches up with day six. That emptiness is filled there with uh, livestock, creatures, and most importantly, people. And so this um, language in verse two about the, the forms and the emptiness, the forms are made and the emptiness is filled, and those structures fit together. So we see this structure which reflects an orderly way that God creates. God doesn't create out of some battle. Uh, He creates it in the way that he intends it. Day one matches up with day four, day two with day five, and day three with day six. Now did you know that uh, this is quite an interesting point that I'm about to bring to your attention, uh, that God's orderly pattern of creation in the beginning also gets expressed later in his orderly pattern of creating his people Israel, through whom redemption for the whole world comes. We see this a bit further on in the Bible, in uh, Exodus chapter 14. A similar pattern of the first three days of creation actually is brought to our attention. As we see that uh, God creates the people of Israel and moves them out of Egypt into his rest his promised land so if you'd like to turn to exodus chapter 14 now i'm going to pick this up in verse 9 and we're going to see a similar pattern for the second time where there are forms that are made and separations that exist but it's this time with respect to the creation of israel in exodus chapter 14 it's god's glory spirit that's there present once again This time as a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And that glory spirit separates light from dark as the Israelites flee out to the Red Sea. In Exodus chapter 14 verse 9 we read, Then the angel of God, who'd been travelling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. So there's a separation of the light from the darkness, just as there was in the first day of creation. Then the Israelites experience a separation of the waters of the Red Sea. In verse 21 we read, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And so just as we saw in day two, there was a separation of the waters here in the creation of Israel. There's a separation of waters And finally, in verse 22, And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. On day three, there was the creation of the dry ground separate from the sea. And here we see the Israelites, they're walking. And where are they walking through? They're walking through to God's rest, the promised land. And so we see there's very careful language used to, in the Bible to describe God's creation. Those first three days, it's a very careful uh, stylistic account and even that language is used to describe the creation of Israel who will go and live in God's rest as well. There are a number of patterns that feature through chapter 1 which give us the impression that creation is the result of God the big king who speaks and things happen. God said let there be and then we read what happens and comments like and there was or and so God made or and it was so. God is revealed as a powerful king who just speaks and things happen. In many ways, uh, sorry, at many of the, the days we read the repeated comment and God saw that it was good. And especially in the, the sixth day after the creation of people we read the comment and it was very good. Mm-hmm. Creation meets God's intended purposes perfectly. We also see the pattern there was evening and there was morning. That happens until we get to the seventh day. And there's no remark about an evening and a morning. And the implication is that we're still in the seventh day. And that's what some, uh, that the writer to the Hebrews picks up in Hebrews chapter 4, where he remarks that God's work of creating has been finished since the creation of the world. And he holds out the challenge for his readers and for people like us To hold on to faith in Christ and to enter God's Sabbath rest, that end time rest. The language and the patterns in Genesis 1 reveal God to be the all powerful creator who makes things in a marvellous and an orderly way. God's creation brings out perfectly the intentions of his will, it's a good creation. But did you notice there's not a great deal that's said about how God creates? The language that's geared to these original readers is actually cast in a particular time and in a particular culture. And the communication of ideas here is different to modern scientific precision, isn't it? The fact is that communication of truth is different in different cultures. One commentator gave an example of the way that the truth of an idea can be communicated in different ways from different cultural backgrounds when she referred to some statements that are made within the media. She referred to different cultural approaches to communication and took the example of the communication between some uh, nations An example was between the United States and its communication with Iraq when there was conflict between those two nations in the early 90s. This communication shed some light on the different ways that different cultures communicate their ideas. President Clinton said, our objectives are limited but clear to make Saddam, or Saddam, pay a price for the latest act of brutality, reducing his ability to threaten his neighbours and America's interests. Now, that all sounds very statesmanly uh, and modern from America, but this is how Saddam Hussein communicated in reply. He communicated in different terms and images when he declared, Iraq is as steadfast as the high mountains. Which are as unshakable, sorry, which are unshakable by the winds of evil. And its sails will not be torn out by the hiss of snakes. Well, that's lofty language indeed, isn't it? Uh, But yes, Iraq was less steadfast than Saddam liked to let on. They actually lost the war. Uh, So I sort of hesitated when I was thinking about bringing this. Uh, notion to talk about truth. I mean I think it illustrates different ways of communicating language but certainly I don't think Saddam communicated truth. But back to the language of the Bible as modern readers we can accept the truth that God is creator the powerful creator who makes things orderly according to his will But we also have to come to terms with the fact that not a great deal is said about the process and how God creates. That's just not what we get from the language of Genesis chapter 1. Nevertheless, the truth is before us that God does create and it's done in an orderly way. And he's revealed as almighty and majestic. The wonderful creator bringing about a creation that meets his will. Now, as we uh, look through the Bible story and see God's work, we see that God brings about his plans and purposes in an orderly way. In fact, he does that uh, when he brings salvation to people like us. God restores this fallen world. We'll see that um, in, in subsequent weeks as um, Scott and Benjamin preach. And we're, we're reminded of God's orderly work in restoring creation and his orderly work in our lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul can speak about God's work in our lives as a, as a creative process as well. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who's reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. If we've come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, if we've come to receive the forgiveness of our sins, not having our sins counted against us, if we're reconciled to God, the Bible's position on God's work in our life is that we've received his orderly work to become new creations. We've put away the old ways of living. We've put away filthy language from our lips, lying, stealing and cheating. We've put out a way of life which is rotten and we're living now as God's new creatures. We're seeking to live and walk with the spirit in an orderly way. God knows not only how to make a wonderful creation in an orderly way, He's begun a good and orderly work in our lives to make us new creations as well. That's something to rejoice in. Well, the third point in my outline now is you'll notice that people hold a very special place in God's creation. Let's pick this up from chapter 1, verse 26, following. Then God said, "'Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, "'so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky.' Over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Did you notice that more attention in this creation account in chapter 1 is devoted to the creation of people as a type of high point of God's creation. God even takes counsel within himself in verse 26, let us make man in our image. And we take it from the rest of the Bible that God is a complex unity. Three persons, one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so we take this reference to let us make man in our image as a reference to the triune God who is the all-powerful creator. As for making people in God's image, both male and female, uh, it's not actually explained in the text what that exactly means. But we do know that in the past, uh, kings had images of themselves established within their kingdoms. And most likely it's the, the fact that people are reflecting something of who God is. People made in the image of God, God's, God's cast is the image of the big king and people made in him, his image are like vice regents, little kings and queens if you like, ruling and reigning over creation under God. That's uh, some of the mandate that's given to people, to rule creation, to be fruitful, fill the earth and subdue it. God is king over creation and people made in his image exercise these kingly type roles as well. We occupy a very special place in creation, representing God's power and presence and authority over the world. Uh, one commentator has put it like this. His name's Tremper Longman III, which is quite a... He did have a son called Tremper Longman IV as well. But uh, The quote is, We reflect God's glory like the moon reflects the light of the sun. We reflect who God is. We reflect his glory. It's quite deep, isn't it, when we think about it? Well, as we think about... God making people special as the high point of his creation Uh, this is important for our worldview as we live isn't it no matter what you do for a living or what you don't do no matter what gifts or abilities that you've got or what gifts and abilities you don't have the message from God's word to us today is that You and I are dignified. We're all made in the image of God. We're made special above the the other creatures of creation. We enjoy a very privileged position over this good creation. We enjoy the responsibility of reigning over it under God's good hand. And the message this morning is that If you're ever tempted to doubt the fact that you are valuable, well, you've got a dignified position as as someone made in the image of God. And you are inherently valuable because God's made you and he thinks you're valuable. And so there's consequences for this too, isn't it? That we should not um, downplay ourselves and our specialness despite whatever we do, our function in life, uh, or whatever gifts and abilities we have or don't have. We are people who have dignity. All people have dignity. And we've got a responsibility to value each other and treat each other with proper respect. Instead of seeing people as deserving to be slaves or somehow placed within some deplorable caste system, where varying degrees of value value are attributed to them, the message from the word of God today is that all people are special. And furthermore, we're made for a relationship with God, to enjoy a personal relationship with God and relationship with each other. We occupy a very special place in his creation. And as his creatures... Our responsibility is to glorify him and to give thanks to God. That's the right response of creatures to the creator. Now, I mentioned at the start of this talk that many people find a great deal of satisfaction in tracing their ancestry to find out who they are, and they benefit from that. But as we look at the word of God today, we see a great deal of fruit from what the Bible teaches us about ultimately who we are. From God's point of view, we're taught that uh, we're his special creatures. We've been created for his glorification and we're to give thanks to him. That's the right way to live. But sadly, Paul the Apostle reminds us that in this fallen world, people and humanity fails to do this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he writes about what people do with their knowledge of God from creation. And he says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were dark and people turn instead of serving the creator, they start serving the creatures, which is foolish. It's sad when you think about it, isn't it? The Lord Almighty has made the heavens and the earth He's made a majestic creation. He's given us life and health and every good. Isn't that wonderful? We occupy a very special place in his creation as creatures made in his image to enjoy relationship with God and to enjoy relationship with each other and to reign over this creation and to care for it too. But may we be people who continue to be among those who live differently to the world. When we look at creation, we're reminded of God and his power and instead of uh, turning away from that, let's instead be those who give thanks to God and who glorify God. Let's live out that noble calling that we've got to be his people who reflect his glory and image. Let's be among those who live our lives in thanks to God for his goodness to us and his goodness to us in reconciling himself, making us his new creations in Christ. Let's be those people who are different, living a different life that brings glory and honour to God as we've been made to do. And let's have a go at doing that this week and may God help us to do that. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks uh, for who you are, being the all-powerful creator who who brings a creation out of nothing in a majestic way. Lord, we give you thanks that uh, you create in an orderly way and bring about a creation that that perfectly meets your intentions. Lord, we give you thanks that you've uh, also established the creation of your people Israel and out of that nation uh, a saviour for the world comes. Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus through whom we enjoy the forgiveness of our sins and life with you. And we give you thanks that you've made us new creations in Christ to inherit a new heavens and a new earth. Lord, we give you thanks that we can enjoy the good creation that you've made. And we thank you that your word helps us to understand it in its right perspective as your creation. Lord, we give you thanks that um, we can enjoy it. And we give you thanks that we can enjoy a relationship with you as your creatures. Lord, help us to be mindful of um, how to remember our status before you as dignified and special. Help us to build up and encourage our, our fellow um, brothers and sisters. Lord, we give you thanks for this word which guides us in our knowledge of you today. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be among those who glorify you and give thanks to you for all that you've done. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.